0: Welcome back. Good to have a new year. Um, Yeah, really good. Really good to have that just sense of God's presence with us as well. It sounds silly, but sometimes you think, oh, will it still work this year? And it does, because he's with us, because he's faithful and he's good. So we are starting a new series. We're calling Too Good to Be True. And we're just aiming to help maybe answer some of the questions that you might have about the Christian faith, maybe your friends or neighbours or colleagues have about the Christian faith. And so that's the aim over the next six, seven weeks or so. And just to kick it off, have you ever wondered why Christians still believe 2,000 years after Jesus? How can a faith that began when technology hadn't really got much further than the wheel, let's face it, still be relevant in an age of computers, mobile phones, air travel, Netflix, and AI? You know, AI is the latest thing that's coming out. Can, can, does the Christian faith still really have anything to say in that sort of world? Can we be sure of anything the Bible says when it happened so long ago? Isn't it all just myths and fairy tales anyway? Well, don't all faiths lead to God? Great, you've got your truth, but what, everyone else can have their truth too. Actually, now that we come down to it, isn't religion the cause of problems in the world? Isn't it like the biggest cause of problems in the world? Maybe we'd be better off just getting rid of it. Or maybe if we keep it, sure, but is church for me? Why would church be for me? I don't, don't know the words of the songs. I don't know what the Bible says. Is it really for me? How can anyone still believe the things that they believed before science came along and explained it all? And yeah, sure, back then you could think and believe in miracles and magic, but we know how it works now. We've got science. Woo! Maybe you've got other questions that I've not touched on. So we're kicking off this series, Too Good To Be True, to to try and aim uh, to answer some of those. Maybe you've been in church for years and years, but still have some niggles and questions. Maybe friends, colleagues, and neighbours ask you a question and you don't know how to answer it. Been there? But yeah, actually, that's a really good question. Mm. Maybe you're going through a bit of a hard time and wondering whether to stick it out. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you're wondering why someone you know is one. Could it be something for you? Or maybe your parents are Christians. My parents were Christians. But it's never felt like something you could own for yourself. Or you hope that through this series, you're going to be able to answer or begin to answer some of those questions, because they're huge questions. We're not going to be able to answer them fully. Some of them are really, really big topics. And where possible, we're going to point you at some books or articles that you can follow up to read a bit more about things. And it's tricky because some of these questions genuinely are not going to have a definitive, exhaustive answer. They're not. Sometimes there's an element of mystery, or sometimes things are open to interpretation. But in situations like this, we need to go as far as logic evidence and reason can take us and be prepared to take not a blind leap of faith but an educated leap of faith that says you know what okay I, it's not despite the evidence but i've worked it through i can see this there's like maybe a little gap here but i'm prepared to trust that if the rest is good i can trust for that gap and this is my story i was raised in a christian home but I was always encouraged to ask questions and give a space to work out what it is I believed. And I had a very powerful experience of God as a teenager that seemed to confirm what my parents believed. And after that, I loved to do what we've done this morning. I loved to worship in song. I love to read the Bible and learn about the God that loved me, that I loved, and about the faith that was now my own. But at 16, 17 years old, I hit a brick wall. I went to sick form loads of people asking all sorts of questions that I'd not necessarily come across before. And actually, probably went through a little bit of time of, bit of depression, actually. And I had to work out, is this still for me? But over time, I, I read, I prayed, and I came out believing that Jesus was worth devoting my life to. In all honesty, even today, I can still be hit by questions and doubts. But when I do, I read, think and pray my way through it, sometimes making a choice that the evidence is strong enough to trust that I can go for that gap, even though it isn't 100% slam dunk. So that's the approach we're going to take for this series. Today's question is, does Christianity still matter? You could be forgiven for thinking that a faith that started more than 2,000 years ago has very little to say to people living in the 21st century Britain. I mean, how could it? As I thought about how I could answer that question, I decided that the best way would actually be to tell the story that we believe and just take little stops and point out why it is relevant, why it isn't just a fairy story. Now, we can't, at the same time get into how we can know the story is true, because those are big questions, and we've got other weeks to look at those. Instead, what I hope you leave here today thinking is hoping that the story is true and open to hearing in future weeks why we believe that it is. (coughs) So, you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Now you've all got, well not not all of you, some of you have got some props. And someone has the starter gun. (gasps) Matthew has the starter gun. Does it work? Yeah, we're off in the beginning the very first three words in the whole of the bible genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning see our story tells us about the beginning of all things it talks about where we've come from it tells us that there is a purpose to life the universe and everything and it's not 42. Some people got it. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, the the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't just explain our origins and our beginnings. It goes on to tell us where we're going, and that's where we're going today. We started at the beginning. We're going to go to the end of time itself. You ready? Someone else has got God written out in letters. There we go. Janet has God written out in letters. See, in the beginning, God. It's the fourth word in the Bible. See, God is there at the beginning of all things. He exists. And he is the prime actor. Sounds a bit grand. He is the one who gets everything moving. And he's not an old man in the sky. He's not a stern, harsh judge just going, (laughs) He's not a lonely God who created things because actually he wanted a little bit of company. That isn't who we believe God is. In the name of the church, we've got Trinity Life Church. God is a trinity. That means he is three persons in one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in perfect, loving community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed and loved each other perfectly. Now, Trinity is absolutely bigger than I can delve into right now, um, but... It's a mystery. This is one of those things I'm going to say is a mystery. You cannot fully understand it. Every attempt to try and fully understand it falls one way or the other into making some mistakes about who God is. But it's not illogical. It's supra-rational. It's above what we can reason out. But I believe it makes sense. (laughs) And it is really important. And this is why it's important. It means we can say that God is love. If God was not three persons in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other for all eternity, past through, eternity, future, then we might be able to say God is loving, but we can't say, like John says in 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. He is love itself. He is full of love that overflows from within himself to all that he has made. It means that he creates out of the fullness of his love. And it means that he is relational. He can be known like a friend. Who has the spanner? Roger has the spanner. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth. Now, this is another biggie. I can't right now get into some of the debates about did God really make the world in seven days? Were Adam and Eve really, really, really people? Did they really exist? Were they the first humans? All that sort of thing. That is one of those areas where Christians have different ideas. Some people say, yes, seven days. Some people say, no, millions of years. And the seven days is a poetic device. The Bible doesn't actually, I believe, point out the science of it. The Bible is talking about why God created. Mm -hmm. See, he created the heavens, which speaks of where God is right now. He is spiritual. He is in the heavens and we can't see him, but he is the creator of all the things we can see, feel, hear and touch. He created it and he knows how it all works. He took great care in creating, ensuring that things were created in the right order. If you go back and read it in Genesis 1, notice day one, he creates light from the darkness Day four, he creates the sun and the moon. Day two, he separates the land from the sea. Day five, he starts putting plants and fish, plants on the land, fish in the sea. Day three, and I should have looked this up because I've now lost my thought on it. Day three, he does something else. And in day six, he populates it with animals. Go and read it. It's good stuff. I feel really embarrassed now. Oh, dear me. Thank you. I love that there is grace. God sets something up and then he populates it. There is a logic and a reason and an order to it. And it's this belief that started that whole scientific process. It's because we believed that God created with purpose, with intent, that we could then predict what goes on in the world, that we came up with science. It also means that he cares about the physical stuff. He's not just spiritual. He doesn't care about the inner stuff. He cares about the physicality of who we are. And I think this is critical in a world that is going more and more digital. If COVID taught us anything, it is that sitting behind a computer screen and talking to people on Zoom is a poor substitute for actually being in the room with them. Yeah. Being here in this room matters. I hated online church. This is embracing and brilliant, and I love it. It never will be the equal. It is good to be able to see, hear, and hug actual people. And that's the next bit. God created, and he saw it was good. Bruce Almighty, it was good. God's view of his creation is that it is very good. Who's got the head teacher's award? That is my son's head teacher's award from Grange Infants for amazing handwriting. Just in the same way the head teacher saw Noah's handwriting, God looks at his creation and says, That is good. We might sometimes think that God is anti this world, but that isn't right. He thinks it's good. He made this world and made a large part of it fun. Think about it. Food did not have to taste good to nourish us. We could have had all the vitamins and minerals that we needed and it tastes like nothing. But instead, he made s- potatoes so that we can make chips. <laughs> he made wheat so that we can, and cocoa beans so that we can make chocolate cake. Come on, it did not have to taste good. But it does. Music didn't have to exist, but it does. Games didn't have to exist. Sport, literature, culture, love, joy, creativity are all part of what God created, and he called it good. The last thing that God makes in the Bible, if you look at it, he makes us. He makes human beings. And the Bible tells us that he made human beings in his image, which I think means at least two things. Who has the action figure, by the way? Uh, no, not the pink one. Someone's got Captain America. Oh yes, you have got him as well. Ah, Captain America, God made man. And he saw that it was for seven, no. <laughs> and, it was good. and it was good. God made humans in his image, which I think means two things. One, it means that we may made like him, with personality, with feelings, with desires, so that we can know him and be his friends. I also think it means that he made us in his image like a glove is made in the image of our hands so that he can empower us, so that he can fill us and that he can do what he wants to do through us in this world. We'll get back to that in a moment. So he made man in his image, human beings in his image. Who has the pink ranger? (coughs) Anna has the pink ranger see, when God made Adam, he made something else that was the first thing he said wasn't good. No, it wasn't Adam, ladies. (laughs) He made loneliness. He says it is not good that the man is on his own. And so he created a woman for the man. See, he didn't just create men in his image. He made women in his image as well. The Bible says, God made man in his image, male and female, he created them. And it, that implies that his image is best represented when men and women get together. God is not a man. Amen? God is not a woman. Amen? God is masculine and feminine together. Masculinity cannot show it. Femininity cannot show it. The two together together. Pictures the glorious beauty of our God. Another part of the reason he created male and female is because his first mission was for us to be fruitful and multi- multiply. Again, another thing that didn't have to be fun but is, but I'll move on. Family and community were his ideas. And it is all part of his plan for a good creation that shows his goodness and glory. Who has the globe? <laughs> There we go. The first part of the mission is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why? So that we can care for it. So that we can look after it. He gave us the mission to rule over and care for the earth as his representatives. We're called to do it good, not just exploit it for our own gain. Not doing so good a job, are we? It matters how we treat the earth and everything in it. This also means that God knows that it is important that we have a sense of purpose and a mission for our lives. He created us to be like him, to have a goal in mind and to live and work towards it. We are supposed to live for something bigger than ourselves. Who has the shoe? Becky has the shoe. See, after God made the whole world and humanity in his image, we're told that God and Adam, that first man, walked together. He, they walked together. They enjoyed friendship and fellowship. We're told that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day as if it were a regular occurrence. And this is how God wanted us to live. He wanted us to live walking day by day with him. Not on our own. Not working out how best to do it, but with him as our guide, as our friend, as our father. I trusted someone with an apple that they weren't going to eat. Who did that? Did anyone eat it? Um, oh, you're a trickster, Isla. I'm watching you. I know you. God, who, thinks, who knows what the next stage of the story is that relates to the apple? Ever? Uh, not quite yet. <laughs> Anyone know what that might be? Disobedience. disobedience. Yeah. There are people that think that the uh, apple tree is the the tree or the fruit that Adam and Eve ate. I don't believe it was, to be honest. I suspect we don't have access to the fruit that it was. I don't know. But God gave us the best start possible. He planted us in a garden full of delicious fruit and said we were free to eat from any of the trees except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, It may or may not have been a literal tree. It certainly wasn't an apple tree, almost certainly. But you see, God didn't create us with a thousand limitations or restrictions. He gave us huge freedom, privilege, and provision of food without needing to work for it. And we had one restriction. Sadly, we were deceived to believe that this one restriction meant God was holding something back. We ate that forbidden fruit and rebelled against the god who had given us everything which had some consequences who's what the poor patrol telescope <laughs> we were planted in a garden with endless fruit and told to tend it but instead we have lost that paradise Telescope, we're looking for it again. That's the link. Some of them are tenuous. I apologize. (laughs) We were told to look after that garden, but instead we were sent out of the garden into a wilderness with thorns where we have to struggle to make our food. Devereux. Devereux has a skull in his hand. It is a slightly more colorful skull than I was hoping for. It's uh, a Day of the Dead thing. But death came into the world as a result of eating that fruit. Death is not part of the natural order. This is really important. Death is not how God intended things to be. We know people who are struggling with terminal illnesses. We know more people than we would like who are struggling with terminal illnesses. Death is not God's plan. I hate cancer. I hate it. It was not part of God's plan. Death came as a result of eating that forbidden fruit. It became necessary because actually if God didn't introduce it, we would live forever getting worse and worse and worse. And he wasn't prepared for that to be the case. Who has the knife? Isla has the knife. Again, possible other tenuous link. We were cut off. From God. We were separated from God. And that's the biggest loss from his perspective. We were cut off from the garden where he wanted us to live, where he was most present, because he made us to know him and enjoy being part of his family, but we were now separated from him. Someone has the monopoly piece. I think Brenda has the monopoly piece. (laughs) It's so little how did anyone give in to the temptation to play a game of monopoly over christmas we did it was actually remarkably peaceful (laughs) Uh, i i I, I believe in christmas miracles it was (laughs) remarkably peaceful but how much strife has come because of that game if i had a a physical copy of risk it would have been even more the case Mm We would have experienced thousands of years of strife because of that disobedience. And he never want, God never wanted any of that for us. He never wanted sickness, disease, politics, wars, or death. It all came because Adam disobeyed. And we've continued in that. I think we'd all like to think that the contribution to the world that we make is, generally speaking, positive. Yeah? But, you know, on balance, I feel like I'm better than bad. But the reality is, I know I have added to the suffering, the difficulties and the badness of the world, not least of those I care most about. There is nothing worse than having people you love in tears because of something you have done. Sadly, I've done it. What's wrong with the world? To quote Taylor Swift, and I never thought I'd be doing that. (laughs) It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. If that's a little bit too lowbrow, G.K. Chesterton said, the answer to the question, what is wrong with the world, is or should be, I am wrong. But God has been on a rescue mission. Who's got the mosquito racket? Throughout history, God has been with his mosquito racket Going after the things that we released into this world. again. Okay. have you ever used one of those? By the way, do you know what it does? Yeah, you press, you put the battery in it, you press the button, and in a place with mosquitoes, there are no batteries in it. It's safe. You go like this, and when you hear that, you know you got a mosquito that was planning to feast on you. It's the most satisfying sound in the world. That is what God has been doing throughout history. He didn't leave us to the fate. From the very first day Adam and Eve ate that fruit, he has been on a mission to restore us to himself. Now that first day in Genesis chapter 3, you can go and read it. What was God's response? He made clothing out of animals so that they would be warm outside of the garden. They made fig leaves to try and cover themselves up because they realized they weren't wearing any clothes. God made better Clothes that covered them properly. From the very first day, God has been on a rescue mission. That's the story of the Old Testament. I'm going to jump over Genesis chapter 4 to the end of Malachi now because I'm already running over. But that is what God was doing in Israel. He took Abraham, one couple, and made a nation that was intended to bless the world. But in the Old Testament, the story of Israel is one of constantly failing, being rescued, Improving and then failing again. Again and again and again. It wasn't enough. Someone has the doll. We've just come out of Christmas. Yeah, thank you for putting the head right. That was a little bit creepy. We've just come out of Christmas where we remember that Jesus was born. Amen. God himself became one of us, the God who created all that we see, hear, taste and touch, who lived in the heavens and couldn't be seen, has entered his own creation. God is so committed to restoring what we lost that he became a baby in a manger. He put himself into the care of his own creation, which is amazing enough. But remember, this was his rebellious creation. He put himself under our care. Who has the knight helmet? Go on, mate. Put it on. Stand up and let everyone see. That's better. Oh, it's a beautiful face. Jesus was given a mission, just like a knight would have gone on a quest, to undo what we did in the Garden of Eden. So he went around, and where we disobeyed God, he perfectly obeyed God. He did just what he was asked to do when he was asked to do do it. And he showed us what the life God intended us to live looked like. And it was full of love, joy, peace, compassion, forgiveness, devotion to God and care for those around him. Because as he walked in obedience, he spent time with those that religion traditionally excluded. He was called a friend of sinners because he went to the parties of those on the outside. He shared the good news that God wanted to be with us and would restore us to fellowship with him. He brought healing to those that needed physical healing. He even raised people from the dead, undoing death itself, at least temporarily. And then finally, now this is the one I didn't have. This is bad. I apologize. But as a pastor, I do not have a cross in the house. Does anyone have a cross that they're wearing around their neck? or a, as an earring or anything like that. I will fix it, I promise. Don't fire me. Oh, apparently La Luna has one. <laughs> I should have asked. Sorry. Does anyone have a cross? Linda has a cross. There's a cross on Claire. Oh, yeah. yeah. The cross. Finally, Jesus takes on the ultimate enemy. Death itself. He took on death, which only came because of Adam's disobedience, by dying on the cross. And he did at least two things. Again, time is short, and I'm running over. The cross is rich and beautiful. I could talk about this for a week every year for the next year or two and not exhaust what the cross did. But there are at least two things he did. One, he died in our place, taking on the death that we should receive because of the wrong things we have done, and then giving us the life that he deserved, giving us that state of being in the right that we don't deserve that he deserved because he did obey, he takes our wrongdoing, he gives us his rightness. That's the one thing that he does on the cross. The second thing, and I love this one, he dismantles death from the inside out. Who's seen The Matrix? How does The Matrix end? I'm talking the first film. There is no other film after the first film. (laughs) The end of The Matrix, how does he defeat Agent Smith? He dives into Agent Smith's body And you think, oh, wow, okay, Agent Smith has consumed him, but he begins to break Agent Smith apart from the inside out. And it goes... And Neo is left standing there victorious. That is what he's doing on the cross. He's going deep undercover to break death apart so that we can be set free. Amen? Amen. That is what he was doing. We can receive forgiveness for all we've done just by trusting that the cross was enough to pay our debts and to free us from the claims of death. Now, this doesn't mean we won't die. There is a day that death will be done away with, and we're going to get there in a moment, but we're not there yet. But it does mean that death will not be the end, even if we do taste death. Because you see, we all know what eggs look like, don't we? I forgot to pick an egg up. The reason at Easter we have eggs is because it depicts life breaking out. And Jesus went into the tomb, but he did not stay there. He broke out of that tomb. He was raised to life. If he hadn't done that, we would have no confidence that what I've just said about him, defeating death, was true. But he came back to life. That means that we can trust That we will be brought back to life as well we don't have a gravestone to visit to remember jesus because he isn't there the tomb he borrowed is empty because he left it behind and having taken on death he emerged victorious and that is what he promises for us Do you know that he promises that victory over death for us we who trust in him may taste death but it will not be the end we will be raised with him and know the life that goes on forever Take a look around. Take a look around this room. Beautiful people. Him rising to life would be an amazing end, but that wasn't the end. Because actually, he made the church. Jesus went back to heaven, but before he did, he took his followers and commissioned them to be the church. He didn't want his followers to be lone rangers going out on missions on their own. No, he wanted to establish communities for people to find him together, to be devoted to him together, to share this good news that I'm talking about right now together to those that need to hear it. That's why I got up at six o'clock this morning to finish off this message. (laughs) That's why people have come here to set this room up to receive people. Because God wants a people. It's all his idea. But he didn't leave us on our own. Someone has a plug. That's an adapter to travel around the world and get power wherever you need it. And this is what God did. We've talked about the Father. We've talked about the Son. This is the Holy Spirit. This is that sense of peace that you had while we were singing. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the presence of God with us and in us. He didn't leave us on our own to get the job done. He promised to send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to live in us, and to empower us. And once we've placed our trust in him, we're not left alone. We are given strength and guidance by the Holy Spirit. Anyone wearing a watch? Watch, I see that watch, I see that watch, I see that watch, that watch, that watch, that watch. He will return to finish what he started. We don't know when, but he will himself come back. The reason for the clock is we're watching and waiting. We are patiently waiting for him to come back. And then Revelation. Uh, If you've ever read Revelation, it's a bit of a trippy book, but the ending of it is lovely. All of it is lovely, actually, when you understand it. Revelation 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. We are promised a city that is going to come to this earth. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God shines on it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. It will never be night. Amen. They will bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable, but only those written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who have put their trust in Jesus. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing Of the nations. The nations need healing, right? Yeah. Look at the news. Look at the Middle East alone, let alone all the other nations. Where we're headed, where we're going, there will be healing for the nations. They will see his face. No, Mister verse. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The story that started in a garden will end in a city that has a garden within it with that tree of life. And those who trust in Jesus will be there with him. Someone's got a fridge magnet. Barcelona fridge magnet. As beautiful and stunning as Barcelona is, the city that is to come will surpass it. Thanks. Amen. I hope this story has wet your appetite somewhat. You may not be ready to believe it's true, but if I've done it justice, and if I haven't, I'm sorry, I hope you will find yourself wanting it to be true. Or at least able to see why pe- other people want it to be true. And I hope you can see why I believe the Christian faith is still relevant in 21st century Britain. Now, there are some books you can look up if you find yourself wishing it to be true. I will very quickly put them up and I'll send the links out in the newsletter. Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Thank you, buddy. Um, Twelve hard questions for the world's largest religion. If you've got a difficult question, it's probably in that book. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He doesn't just write about Aslan. And Narnia, he wrote a book defending Christianity and answering a lot of the questions I had when I went through that period as a teenager that I talked about. Next one, mate. Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. Timothy Keller, as it says there. An Invitation to the Skeptical. Again, if you've thought of a a difficult question, it's probably in there. And then here, Letters from a Skeptic. A son wrestles with his father's questions about Christianity by Greg Boyd. Uh, and Edward Boyd, his dad. Greg Boyd is a pastor in America and his dad um, used to believe but ended up casting it away. But over a series of letters that is now in that book, Greg answered his dad's questions and his dad came back to faith. Again, you might find that helpful. Now, the last session in this series is um, titled, if I remember rightly, What's Your Question? I'm aiming to... Take as many questions as you need as come in and give an answer. We haven't answered all of them by any stretch. Now, we will give space for spontaneous questions. That makes me slightly nervous (laughs) because it'd be nice to have some time to prepare. So if you do have a question that isn't on the list of questions that I've talked about earlier today, please send it in and I will have a chance to prepare a little bit at least. Um, But that is where we are does Christianity still matter? I hope you think yes. I think it does. I think it speaks to where we as a society are lacking in hope, love, joy and unity. And I believe it is the answer to save the world. Amen. Amen. We're going to close in a song. Uh, While the band is coming up, I'm just going to pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you You have created this world with good purpose. You have created this world so that we can know you, so that we can know each other, so that actually the love that you have, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will be all over this planet and all over this universe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though we disobeyed, even though we rebelled, you did everything we need to come back and be restored to friendship and fellowship and to be a part of your family. Lord, as we worship now, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that you would stir our hearts to love you more, to follow you more, knowing that one day you will return and that city we look forward to will become a reality that we see, not just a hope that we dream of. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would send us out, as you promised, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts.